Hey everyone, it's the Kung Fu Genius, aka Alex Richter. And if you're listening to us on audio only, I'd appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen to it. And of course, if you like what I do here, don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius on YouTube and hit that bell for notifications. Are you a fan of Wing Chun Kung Fu? Well, if you listen to me, I assume you are. I got great news for Kung Fu Genius fans. Right now, you can get an all-access one-month free trial subscription to Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Yes, I said free. Go to wcinewsstand.com and register in the upper right-hand corner, fill in your email and password, and use the code KFGTRIAL to get your free trial to the issues from 2011 to the current issue. That's right, all the issues, even the one with this guy on the cover. My Kung Fu Genius column is in all the new issues, as if you need another reason to get this awesome magazine. Go get your free trial subscription today. For all that information, check out the description below. And with that, let's get started. All right, peeps, on today's episode of the Kung Fu Genius, the genius will be answering all sorts of hot nonsense from YouTube. Lots of gems, lots of inch punch, lots of, you know, that Shaolin story is faker than four striped Adidas. Let's get to it. He is unstoppable, unbeatable, unbelievable. He's Alex Richter, the Kung Fu Genius. And every day, I practice martial arts. <laughs> Watch out. Word is, I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Practiced all day like a genius. Martial arts, Yo, Dre, how you doing, man? I'm schooling. All right. Schooling. Lounging. Cooling. All right. Shoot some b-ball outside of school. Hey, hey, hey. No Will Smith references anymore. I think you're not allowed to use those for the next 10 years. That's what the Academy oh. said. Yeah. So no Will Smith references. I just references. read that. I'm sure you did. All right. So, wow. Um, yeah, we can't do that. Otherwise, we might get canceled. So anyway, here we are for another AMA. What's the first one on the plate for today? First one out the gate. Are we ready? We are ready. Let's see if you got something for this one. I don't know. This question it's is off, possible off I got, the rails. It's quite possible I got nothing. <laughs> We got, we got Tom Cruise's brother. Tom Cruise's brother. Louis Cruz. Louis Cruz in the okay. house. Okay, or Luis. All right. Sifu Richter, have you ever trained to perform the one-inch punch? James DeMille or James DeMille. DeMille. Wow. I like what? how he gets names wrong we say regularly on this podcast. James, De- <laughs> James DeMille. <laughs> James DeMille wrote about it years ago, but I am not aware of anyone performing it like Bruce Lee. Uh-huh. That's a great question. Uh, the topic of Bruce Lee's inch punch comes uh, again and again uh, because, you know, they, there are a couple demonstrations of Bruce Lee performing it, and it generally tends to make the rounds on social media and online. So, And you have everyone commenting on it from Wing Chun people to MMA people to, you know, people who don't know what they're looking at. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's a good question. There's always a famous thing. But there's that one picture of him doing the one-inch punch on Grandmaster Baxter, isn't Oh, there? that's right. Yeah, he gave uh, Grandmaster oh, Baxter the yes. one-inch punch according that to Beardy, right? That is very famous for Yeah, him. yeah, a.k.a. Uh, Dan Santo, <laughs> a.k.a. it was a throw, not a punch. Uh, a.k.a. you were just making shit up, Birdie, while you were looking at a photo. Um, so, uh, yes. Okay, well, uh, a couple things about the one-inch punch. Uh, the one-inch punch is, in my opinion, it's deeply misunderstood by... Wing Chun people, by JKD people, and by the general martial arts community at large. Mm. Because I think that what people misunderstand about the one-inch punch is that they think it's a fighting technique. 
So, for example, you and I are tussling, and then I just put my I just put my hand an inch yeah. away from your chest, and I go boom, and I hit you, and then you crumple, and, and you I'm yell like, it yeah. out too. At the yeah, same you time. have one inch punch. Of course, like a proper kung fu movie, yes. you have to say the technique that you're using on the person when you're defeating them proper. with it, right? Okay, yes. um, the crane's beak, right? The oh. inch punch, right? Okay, you have to say it. So uh, I think that that's what people. They, they kind of think they're looking at when they see mm-hmm. Bruce Lee or another Wing Chun Sifu performing the inch punch, that the idea is that in the middle of a melee, a fight, clinch, whatever, you're just going to put your hand an inch away from the person's chest and go, bam, and then you're going to blast them away and they're going to turn, they're going to dust away like at the end of <laughs> Infinity War or something okay. like that, right? So, uh, and that's not the idea. Mm. The idea is that the inch punch is a demonstration of a type of power we use in Wing Chun, or a type of force transfer. It is not a fighting technique. You don't just go up to random people and go, inch punch, and then knock them over, right? I do. You might, but I mean normal, like well-adjusted people. Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the idea you're is right, that in, right. in in Chinese martial arts, we talk about the the something called the bridges. Okay, your arm is a bridge. Uh, some people talk about the connection between, let's say, for example, your arm and my arm is mm-hmm. the bridge, and other Chinese kung fu sifu just in general call the arm the bridge. So it's not always entirely clear because uh, Chinese kung fu masters always like to. They always like to have a card up their sleeve to tell you that they're wrong. If you say the bridge is the connection between our arms, they'll mm. say, no, actually, it's just the arm. If you say it's just the arm, they say, no, it's actually no. the connection between the two arms. <laughs> because especially old Chinese Kung Fu masters, they love to tell you you're wrong. So they they have they like to have these somewhat ambiguous definitions <laughs> that they can ambiguous. kind of like, yeah, yeah, that they can, you know, um, always show you that you're doing wrong. Ah, you've been uh, doing Wing Chun for 20 years. You don't even know basic stuff. Let me show you how you're <laughs> wrong, right? Just because it's my definition of this, right? So So what the inch punch is, uh, and from my understanding, they didn't really call it the inch punch in in Hong Kong at that time. I think uh, the inch punch is something that Bruce Lee probably coined that term because it sounds better than the Chinese name for it. The Chinese name for that type of demonstration uh, or that type of power, I should say, is Mm -hmm. called Chang Kiu Fa Le. Chang Kiu means long bridge. Mm-hmm. Fat means to expel or release, and lick means power. So it quite literally means to release power in the long bridge, which is a little clunky to say <laughs> in, in English. And even in Chinese, it's it's a bit wordy for Chinese standards, although Chinese is monosyllabic, so everything is, sounds shorter in Chinese anyway. So the idea is that in Chinese Kung Fu, if we call the arm the bridge, okay, so we're not going to call the connection between the two arms bridges. We'll just, for our definition today, we'll just say the arm is a euphemism for bridge or bridge is a euphemism for arm. Mm-hmm. When your arm is extended or almost extended, okay, let's say mostly extended to fully extended, the Chinese call that a long bridge because your arm is long and extended. Mm-hmm. When your arm is closer to your body, all right, in let's say the chambered position or or further back, they call that a short, a medium bridge, for example, mm. right? And if your arm is all the way back, uh, um, you know, to to like in a Saokin position, you basically have no bridge or a super short bridge. But normally you have a long bridge and a medium bridge and maybe a short bridge, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it basically is describing how far is your arm extended, all right? And for most martial arts styles, doesn't matter whether it's traditional or not, when you launch a punch, once your punch is launched, it's long bridge, Normally, in order to punch again, you have to pull the arm back. You have to bring it back to a short bridge Mm. and make it a long bridge again. 
All right. So that is kind of the standard way. And that doesn't matter if we're talking about traditional martial art or modern martial art. I mean, if you look at the standard karate example, you launch your punch and the other hand is chambered all the way back. So you have a long bridge and a short bridge, no bridge punch. Right. And mm -hmm. then you have to retract this one before while you punch with the other one. And then it's, it's retracted and loaded so you can punch again. Uh, or if it's a modern style, you know, your hands are here close to your face, which is like a short bridge. You punch into the long bridge and then you bring it back to the short bridge, right? So in general, you have to go from long bridge back to short bridge. All the, the inch punch is a demonstration of is that when your arm is in a long bridge position, meaning in this case, usually not fully extended, but almost extended. Mm -hmm. you can still generate power without having to pull it back into a short bridge. That's all it's a demonstration of. It's not actually a fighting technique where you just walk up to people, put your fingers on their chest, and then blast them with it, punch like that, right? It, it doesn't really work that way. Um, it, that is just a demonstration to say that when my arm is in the long bridge, that is to say almost extended, I can generate enough power to knock you back or knock you down or whatever. Now, mind you, the inch punch no matter how good you are at it, is never going to be as powerful as, say, your normal Wing Chun punch that comes from the center or a boxing punch that comes from your, your, you know, from the side of your cheek or a karate punch that comes from the hip. But that's not the point. Most people can't punch at all from that range. Okay. I mean, if you, even if you take a relatively strongly built person and just you know, tell them to slightly bend their arm and then punch... Um, they might be able, if they're really strong and muscular, be able to get a good push or, or a good mm -hmm. little shove at that right. range. But they usually cannot develop any kind of... Uh, push power. Yeah, any kind of noticeable power at that range. So that is all the inch punch is a demonstration of. It just says, I can keep my arm in the long bridge and still generate, or I should say transfer, power. So it, that demonstration where you put your fingertips on someone's chest and they have a, a pad or a phone book, if the kids even know what a phone book is nowadays, anymore uh, and and then you you know you do your you know without Yellow retracting pages. your 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 fist uh -huh. you launch the punch into them and you can knock them back or knock them down that is a demonstration of long bridge power and mm. then it just sounds easier when you translate into English to say inch power right so that is something that's ubiquitous in Wing Chun whether you're hitting the wall bag with the normal chain punches you are training long bridge power whether you're practicing certain aspects of buji or whatever there, there there's all this kind of short power but the reason why it's super important in Wing Chun is quite obvious when you look at the way we stick to someone's arms our arms, especially in Pun Sao or Chi Sao, are in that long bridge position. If you are doing Pun Sao with your arms back here in front of your face, um, there are many different ways of doing it, but uh, I I'm not one to tell you whether you're right or you're wrong, but you can look at a photo of Grandmaster Yip Man or any famous Wing Chun master, and your Pun Sao position should not be almost touching your face, okay? In short bridge, your arms should be ahead of you. So if your arms are ahead of you, that gives you more distance between you and your opponent, that gives you more time to react and stick, and obviously it gives you good structure because your arm is not compromised and close to your body. Okay. But what this also means that if I want to hit my opponent, my arms are more at a position of extension than they would be if they were pulled back. Mm -hmm. So that means from that position, just using Punsao as an example, I have to be able to generate power without pulling my hand back. Because if you stick to someone's hands and you pull back before you strike, you give the other guy a chance to, to, to go in and, and follow you with yeah, forward pressure that, or to yep. crush your position, right? Also, you telegraph your punch. If I pull back before I punch, I also it's also a tell. You see that my punch is coming. So the idea of generating power in the long bridge 
is not something that will, I think it's so funny because people see Bruce Lee doing that inch punch demonstration and they think somehow he either invented it or is the only person who could do it. All right. And that's not true. I mean, Wing Chun people do it all the time and better Wing Chun people, obviously. And the way we do Chi Sao and the way we stick and the way we hit at close range, it is all long bridge Jack power. Jack Dempsey. All right. Well, that, that that brings me to another topic. I wouldn't necessarily say Jack Dempsey's punch was was a pure long bridge idea, but that but that that brings me to another. That's the second half of what I'm going to talk about. Okay. So in in Wing Chun, we can generate this long bridge power regardless of what position we're in. I mean, I should say that's what you're supposed to be able to do, right? right. And you can do it with a fist. You can do it with a palm. You can do it with your elbow. You can do it with any kind of striking tool that you normally use. And you want to be able to generate enough power to hit someone with. Uh, to cause either damage or to knock them down or knock them out. That's Piggy all you power. need. You, you don't need to have... It doesn't have to be your most powerful punch. It just needs to be enough at that long range, right? right, right. So, Cheung Kyu Fat Lek is something that all better Wing Chun people should do. And putting your hand up to someone's chest or focus mitt or, or a, a phone book or whatever is just a demonstration of your ability to do that as opposed to that being a fighting technique. Uh, one, one of my friends... She's a she's a really good kickboxer and uh, uh, fights competitively. And, uh, you know, every time I have a chance to see her, you know, we, we maybe train a little bit. And uh, she asked me uh, if uh, I could teach her the inch punch <laughs> because she was like, I want to be able to do this in the ring. And, oh, and shit. I was like, um, I was like, well, but that's not actually how it works. Mm. It's not like something you don't just walk up and go inch punch <laughs> and hit someone and go like yeah like this right. I go it's it's the idea about taking uh, all these different little hacks about generating power and compressing them into a very short distance and short time. That's all it is. So when your hand is well ahead of you and you're trying to keep the person away, instead of having to pull back to punch or punch with your other hand, you might be able to launch a very stiff, short jab if you have a couple ideas about how to generate the power. I'm like, that's how inch power might work for a kickboxer as opposed to like, you know, just going to go up to someone, especially with the, with the boxing gloves on, that's also going to kind of change the dynamic a little bit. So it was funny because even like, you know, I, I respect her a lot for her ability to kickbox she's like a total kick-ass kickboxer right but like even she doesn't know much about wing chun or kung fu like saw the inch punch and thought like oh that's like a technique i can learn right okay. and so the misconceptions are are all over the place and so bruce lee was just demonstrating his ability to generate power in a very short distance and people don't realize it's not like bruce lee was selling that as a fighting technique mm. when you see some mm. of those demonstrations of bruce lee doing the inch punch you'll notice something uh, especially in the earlier one, I think in the earlier Long Beach one, he stands in front of the guy that he's going to give the inch punch to and he chambers his fist and he goes from here to here and shows from short bridge to long bridge. Right. And then he shows his punch. So even though we don't have audio of that, it's very clear Bruce Lee got it. He's saying the traditional martial arts have to pull their hand all the way back here in order to punch with power. Mm. We can mm. do it if our hand is just here and go from there. So he, so it's very clear that even when Bruce Lee was doing that demonstration, he was doing it in a way that said the classical idea, your hand has to go back in order to punch. But if you know how to use your power, you can do it without pulling back and without having to, and with your arm being able to stay in front of you. That, so Bruce Lee definitely got it. All right. But people who watch the demonstration don't. Because they don't know the context, all right? And think about it, in, in the 60s, it was all karate. It was all chambering your hand back there. So this, you know, this this Chin this young Chinese master comes and shows, like, I can just leave my hand there and punch you. That was like, whoa. But that was a demonstration of, I can do this thing 
you guys can't do it. This is not a technique. This is a way of transferring power. So that thing must be understood. Now, the second half of all of this is that Bruce Lee did not do the inch punch the way we do it in Wing Chun. Okay. But I, I had to start this whole thing off with what he's demonstrating is not what a lot of people think it is. All right. It, it's just long bridge power. The second half is the way he demonstrates it is not at all the way we normally do it in Wing Chun. And that is not to say Bruce Lee is wrong. And that's not to say that that's some kind of incorrect way of demonstrating it. All right. Remember that Bruce Lee came to the States with maybe three years of Wing Chun training tops. Okay. And this is three years of Wing Chun training while he was a teenager. All right. <laughs> so although he was scrappy and had, you know, had, had a boxing match with Gary Elms and fights on the rooftops and all this kind of stuff there. Um, he still, even if he was really quite good and adept at Wing Chun, he physically didn't even have that much time. He didn't have enough time in it to to internalize it in a way that someone who had been doing it for 15, 20, 30 years would have, right? right? Even if they were not as good as Bruce Lee. There's just like this, certain things about martial arts skills that need to age like wine. And it doesn't matter how good you are physically. There's just a certain level of experience and understanding and introspection that you cannot force feed into a teenager's head in three years. All right. So um, according to James DeMille, and I know that in some circles, James DeMille is not always the most reliable narrator. All right. Uh, James DeMille wrote uh, that, that famous book on the one and three inch punch, yeah. which uh, I actually gave you a copy of. I have. Signed by I James DeMille. You have two copies yeah. now, right? Signed by James DeMille. Mm. And that was one of the very early books that I owned because uh, when I was in Seattle, the Wing Chun style I was taking was from the James DeMille line. And the so other I was, one I have is signed by James DeMille. DeMille, yes, yeah. of course. So uh, in it, um, James DeMille very uh, clearly shows how to do the inch punch. It's not exactly the way Bruce did it in his demonstrations. Uh, James DeMille did it off of the opposite side hand. So, for example, you have the right leg forward, you punch with the left. So you're doing the kind of more crossbody style, mm -hmm. whereas Bruce Lee did uh, the same side hand with, to the leg that was forward, right? And James DeMille addresses that in the in the book, right? They also call it a, a floating punch, all right? Floating punch is also a term from... Uh, from Chinese martial arts as well, and that's probably a topic for another day, right? Because the way the the the, the wrist floats and the elbow drops when you do it, it's like you're, you know, they call it suspended force, like, like your wrist is suspended by a string and your elbow's just kind of hanging and then it just extends, right? So it's sometimes called the floating punch, sometimes called the suspended power, whatever. There's lots of names for it, right? Which again is why it's so easy for old Chinese sifus to tell you're wrong. <laughs> You know, call it long bridge power. They'll say, no, it's called floating power. Called floating power. They say, no, it's suspended bridge force yeah. or whatever. So, I mean, you know. They got I, all I, the tricks up those yeah, sleeves. Yeah, at some point, you know, if you've been to Hong Kong enough and had enough conversations <laughs> with Chinese Kung Fu masters, just know it's better to just learn the art of nodding and smiling uh -huh. um, uh, and, and going, right, yeah, yeah right, right. Okay. Uh, and, and if they tell you something you already know, you always say, wow, that's super interesting. <laughs> um, so anyway. It's pretty clear that Bruce was most likely heavily influenced by uh, Jack Dempsey's book, Championship Fighting. All right. And in that book, which came out in the early 50s, Jack Dempsey talks about the power line being through the bottom three uh, knuckles, uh, aiming with the ring finger knuckle, using the vertical fist. So there's a mm -hmm. lot of things that are like, you know, he, he talks about how the, the idea of the power line, which goes straight through your forearm out the ring finger knuckle. So you're you know, by using the bottom three knuckles, your wrist is in perfect alignment through the forearm. Whereas if you bend it to use the top two, 
those knuckles might be quote unquote stronger, but your wrist is not in great alignment for punching this way here, right? Sucks. So, so this puts you in a much better alignment for full power transfer through the arm, right? And it was funny because years ago, um, GSP was on uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. But yeah. This is like a very long time ago. And Joe Rogan was like, yeah, you know, you have to hit with like the top two knuckles or whatever. And, and GSP was like, no, 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 no. You have to hit with the bottom three knuckles. This whole thing right here. It was just so funny because uh, like Joe Rogan is often the bro who knows everything. And he was like, yeah, well, you got to hit with these two. And like GSP is like, no, you got to hit with the bottom three. Oh, that was totally <laughs> badass. <right? laughs> so um, trust me, I know. Yeah. yeah. So 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 anyway, uh, yeah. Which one are you going to listen to? So, <laughs> J so Jack Dempsey wrote this book, which was called Championship Fighting. And it was about using the art of boxing for self-defense, essentially how to create a really powerful hammer-like punch where you could use your entire body weight into the strike. So he had this idea called the falling step where essentially you, you have weight on your front leg in a way where like if you, you're, you're all your weight, let's say for this is a very rudimentary example. There are many different ways of doing it, but let's say you have all of your weight on your front leg. And then your other leg, you're on your toe in kind of an offset stance. Mm -hmm. So since all of your weight is on the front leg, if you were to lift your front leg off the ground, you would naturally fall forward because all your weight is on that leg. Almost like you would stumble forward by lifting your own leg because it's bearing all the weight, right? So what he's essentially doing is he's saying you have to harness that controlled fall to put your body weight into the punch. Mm. So by by standing with, uh, in a, you can start in a very narrow stance. You have uh, just a little offset. Let's say your right foot is slightly ahead of your left foot and you're on two tracks. You put all your weight on your right leg. And then if you lift your, you try to lift your right leg off the floor, you would naturally stumble forward. And since you're on the toe of your left leg, your brain, in order to keep you from falling on your face, would naturally push off the toe. So okay. what ends up happening is like it's a controlled fall as you go forward and then your front foot slams into the ground again with all of your body weight. So the idea is to learn this trick where you basically harness your body weight dropping into the floor and then transfer that into your punch. And it's not, you know, and he says when you, even Jack Dempsey admitted when you start learning it at first, it's very clunky because every, it's not about throwing a jab with your front hand. It's about a straight power punch with your lead hand. And so you drop your entire body weight behind it. And he's like, at first, you're going to, it's going to sound a little clunky. Your foot's going to stamp on the floor every time you do it. And, and it's going to, uh, it's going to sound awkward. Um, but you know, as you get better at it, you obviously it'll be smoother. And then, you know, you are now delivering a powerful right straight or left straight. And you can even then use it for your rear leg. From what I understand, from what I learned from my teachers in Seattle at that time, and again, you always have to be careful with these things because everything about Bruce Lee at this point, if it's not on video, it's all hearsay. Okay. Mm. So, so I mean, so, so that's the problem. And when people say, no, well, actually, so-and-so said this. Okay. You can find any student of Bruce Lee at this point that said anything. And you can find any two students of Bruce Lee that at any point contradicted each other. So you can't say, well, I think uh, James, James DeMiles is a swell guy and he said this, so it must be true. And the other guy said, well, Dan Inosanto said this and I think he's a swell guy, so it must be this. And the other was like, well, Ted Wong. I mean, so at some point, you have to take everything you say about Bruce Lee with a grain of salt, including literally everything that comes out of my mouth, okay? So <laughs> um, why well, I say that because including. it's just so easy for people to just be like, no, this is the way it was. Like, how do you freaking know? You never even met Bruce Lee. It's like, shut up with what you know, okay? Oh, so, yeah. From what I understood, James DeMaio gave the impression that 
Bruce Lee learned this falling step by reading Championship Fighting and then melded it with the Wing Chun idea. So when you look at Bruce Lee's inch punch demonstration, mm -hmm. it's not, like normally in Wing Chun, we, when we want to demonstrate long bridge power, we don't need to stand in any particular stance. I can stand in the, the, the frontal stance, like the one we use in the Siunam Tao form. Mm -hmm. I can stand with my weight on the back leg. I can stand with my weight on the front leg. I can stand like I'm just sitting there chilling. I can stand on one leg. It doesn't matter. You can sit down and chilling. You could. Yeah. All right. All I'm going to do is just put my hand on you and then from there, boom, generate this short force that will give you a jolt. All right. Mm -hmm. And you should be able to do it from any position, any stance, because uh, you're not going to be in an optimized position when you're fighting. You should actually practice striking out of compromised positions, not just out of these positions where you're standing correctly or perfectly. So when you watch Bruce Lee's inch punch demonstration, especially the one where we have the better footage of, which I think was the second Long Beach one, he's standing sideways, mm -hmm. right, which is already not typical for Wing Chun. He has the weight on the front leg and the heel is up on the rear. And then when he does that punch, you see it's a short controlled fall onto the front leg. Mm -hmm. That is not the Wing Chun inch punch. That is Jack Dempsey's falling step done at short distance. When Jack Dempsey taught the falling step in his book, he doesn't teach it as an inch punch. He teaches it as a punch from your boxing guard. Ooh. So it's incredibly powerful because it's coming all the way from here with that waist and that body weight drop and everything. All Bruce Lee did was compress Jack Dempsey's falling step wow. into that short distance. He made a merger. He made a merge, oh, all right? Wow. And perhaps using kind of a fencing starting point instead of a Wing Chun starting point with Jack Dempsey. So it's like when you look, when I see Bruce Lee's inch punch, mm -hmm. I see kind of a fencing starting position. Yeah. I see Jack Dempsey's body weight drop mechanics, and I see Wing Chun wrist mechanics on the punch. So it's Wing Chun fencing and Jack Dempsey's that falling guy's like a kung fu genius. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's what I see. I don't see a Wing Chun inch punch. I don't see a Jeet Kune Do inch punch. <laughs> I see an amalgamation of three different sources. Okay. Wing Chun joint mechanics, Jack Dempsey's body weight drop, and a fencing starting position. Mm. That's it. All right, and that, that's what I see when I see, and people go like, how come I don't see other Wing Chun people doing that? Because that thing Bruce Lee created. Mm -hmm. when, when you do a proper inch punch or long bridge demonstration in Wing Chun, it normally doesn't have as much power as what Bruce Lee does because we don't lunge our body weight into it necessarily. I know the different Wing Chun Sifus do it differently. The idea is that no matter where you are, you should be able to hit your partner with enough power to stun them or stop them. If you want to optimize it for more power, then of course you can change it. But what you're looking at is not a pure long bridge punch demonstration. You're looking at Bruce Lee optimizing that demonstration by adding the body weight drop and the side on position, all right? And that is actually not that difficult to teach, but that would essentially just be teaching something for demonstration as opposed to learning in combat context how to transfer long bridge power. That's important, all right? When you're doing chi sao, when, when your arms are ahead of you, how do you transfer long bridge power into your partner to launch them mm -hmm. with palms, punches, jolt them into jut saos, toss them to the side? That is the application of long bridge power. What Bruce Lee did is optimize the demonstration of it. Wow, dude. So, next question. Man, well, I, I've gotten it all wrong this whole time, so... That's okay. Yeah. That's not surprising. Really. And again, that's just my speculation. Right? Okay. I'm sure that everyone in the comments will educate me on what an idiot I am. <laughs> yeah. All right. There was some guy who said, well, isn't the inch punch like him like channeling all of his prana and chi? It's like, 
Have you ever yes. read anything Bruce Lee wrote? Like, <laughs> does he? At one point, at what point did Bruce Lee give the impression that he's trying to sell mystical forces in in his punch demonstrations? It's yeah. like people just they want to see it. They want to see the mystical, and mm. they just tack that thing onto anything they want and say, "See, this is obviously a demonstration." Prana no, power. This is obviously confirmation bias. Oh yes. All right, now let's move right along. Next up, we got Chris. Okay, okay. just Chris. Just Chris. All right. Not All right. Chris Brown or no? Okay. No. You Chris Rock. You go to Chris Brown. Huh? Chris Brown. Chris Rock. It's all about violence with you. <laughs> I am the kung fu genius. All right, I do do a podcast with two super irritating people. So the fact that I'm always a little bit on edge. Yeah, that, right? that would make sense. Someone who can't yeah. pronounce T's and someone who can't pronounce names. Yeah. All right. That's, he's lu- he's lucky he got Chris as that one there. Can you imagine? So simple. Yeah. So simple. Yeah. I I could not botch that. James one. DeMille. Oh I tried to. I tried to Christ make it Christ. All right, let's do it. All right. So Christ is asking, I mean, Chris is asking, great to hear your thoughts on Jean LaBelle. Okay, I'll take Question that. Question for a future episode. <coughs> All right, so not this episode, a future no, episode. No, a future one. Okay, got it. Not this one. Not this one. What are your thoughts on Roberto Duran's sticky hands in fighting, boxing, style, and drills in comparison to Wing Chun's trapping? Yeah, there's a video there uh, on YouTube. I've seen the video. Yeah, where he's just kind of sticking. Recently, and I've seen yeah. it. No, that I mean, look, um, uh, you know, say say what you want about Wing Chun. I've especially seen for, that somewhere else, too. For, for people, uh, what do you mean? I've seen someone else do it, and uh, his name would be Vasil Lomachenko. Lomachenko, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like, look, Wing Chun gets a lot of shit from the general martial arts world because of idiots like Ding Hao and all of these <laughs> morons who have no ring fighting experience and decide to go in and fight with semi-professional mixed martial artists or they step out of their wheelhouse of Mm -hmm. like okay this is a self-defense style and they decide no this is a ring fighting style and having no ring fighting experience i'm going to jump in the ring with a trained killer right directly out there yeah and and then you have uh you know then you have some kind of embarrassing demonstrations of this and people have some weird perceptions of wing chun and on top of that i mean majority of the wing chun out there is is you know I don't know about I, – I, I, I look at a lot of Wing Chun and I go, mm, uh, I'd rather watch boxing videos than most of the Wing Chun videos out there, oh. right? The, all the Wing Chun stuff shows up on my feed on IG because obviously I, I, you know, I do Wing Chun and that stuff shows up. But I mean like I, I find myself just scrolling through that stuff really quickly because I find it either, it's either very uninteresting or um, – yeah, I don't know. I look at that and I go, ugh, whatever. So um, – <laughs> So anyway, yeah, I mean, Roberto Duran, he has kind of idea of sticking and clinging and stuff. And, and you see that among other boxers. And, you know, when, when you see high level fighters and, you know, and maybe uh, it sounds like confirmation bias coming from my point. But uh-huh. um, I can definitely see Wing Chun ideas done by certain fighters. And sometimes I think that those professional fighters sometimes have a better idea or a better way of applying mm-hmm. that because they have done it under stress. Yeah. And they practiced it under, uh, you know, in competition. And I think those are the lessons that you know, better Wing Chun people can look at and go like, OK, well, l- watch that video of Roberto Duran kind of sticking and get an idea about how you could apply your Wing Chun against, you know, a high level boxer, for example. Right. right? Or you look at uh, Lomachenko's footwork which he moves to the outside and his footwork is very Ooh. much like what we are trying to do at the higher levels of Wing Chun, oh. especially in Yanchong, taking 
taking angles on the side and look mm. at how someone can apply that at a super high level, mm, right? The art. Yeah. And, the and, beauty. And I think that's what people need to look at instead of going, ooh, boxing is not Wing Chun. Dude, it's all... Two hands and two feet, man. Yeah. All right, you have to you have to look at this stuff as movement. All right, and and you have to turn yourself into a movement junkie, and and look at how people move and what are the patterns that you see that reoccur among successful fighters and 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 mistakes that you should avoid because now with um, YouTube and and with all this social media stuff, you have access to watching all sorts of stuff. You can watch, you know, you can watch older fighters. You can you can and there's great channels out there where people analyze this stuff and in mm-hmm. mixed martial arts um you have like that guy the weasel who's who you know some mma guys don't like him but yeah, i think he's pretty good at breaking down um fighters and strengths and things like that and there's also jack slack the weasel I've never yeah heard of the um, weasel. jack slack he's one of uh he's one of he's one of this guy's dudes oh get out of here. here yeah jack slack has from an his M- hood yeah jack slack is an mma podcast and and he um he'll do breakdowns and not really so much predictions he's he's very technical his breakdowns of boxing and jujitsu and mma and and um from a technical side is really interesting and i i find that when i'm working out i'll listen to jack slack break down fighters and how they match up because he does it in a very analytical way Mm -hmm. and i learn a lot about fighting through listening to podcasts like that Mm -hmm. and i find them much more interesting than uh you know what what some wing chun people say also what you know what i find disappointing is there are very few Wing Chun people out there saying anything. There's a Wing Chun people just either demonstrate some drills or some forms or, uh, but I don't find a lot of interesting discussion coming from Wing Chun people these days. And I wish, I wish they would talk more and, 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 and have some more interesting conversations. So, so that maybe uh, I don't only have to listen to Jack Slack. Cause right now, I mean, the only other Wing Chun person out there that, um, I listen to in terms of like what he has to say and break down Mark Phillips. Like he's, he's the only one we've had him on this podcast because of his, his background and, and, and his degree and his uh, his specialization in self-defense and violence. What he says is super interesting and I really value his opinion, but I don't find a lot of other Wing Chun people out there that are saying anything interesting. They're just, they're just trying to sell their school and their lineage. They're not, they're not having any conversations about anything. Mm. So, um, all right. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that topic. Hey, Kung Fu Genius listeners, if you're looking for an easy way to support this podcast, please consider joining the Kung Fu Genius Patreon. You can support for as little as $5 a month and get access to episodes a few days early. Higher levels of support, get additional goodies, exclusive content, and even your name in the description. The baller level of support will give you the opportunity to be a Dre for a day and give me a rest from this guy over here. A link for the Kung Fu Genius Patreon page is in the description below. You can also support us by subscribing to the Kung Fu Genius on YouTube, liking this video, and sharing it on your social media platforms. When you subscribe on YouTube, don't forget to hit that bell for notifications so you will know as soon as a new episode or a premiere is available for you to watch. For those of us who listen to us on audio, it's a huge help if you don't just rate the podcast, but also write a review wherever you listen to the Kung Fu Genius, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. I really appreciate it. And now back to me. Okay, good stuff, man. Uh, next up, we got uh, one of the uh, awesome Three Stooges. Shemp. Mo Howard. Mo Howard. Yeah, All yeah, right. yeah. The Mo main Howard. one. The main dude. Right. Yeah. The questions for a future episode. Mm-hmm. Not this one. Okay. Not this one either. <laughs> Hello, KFG, Dre, and Andrew. Ah. 
He knows Andrew. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I just read that. I didn't even notice you that. You know, I think, I think all you guys are getting more famous than me. You know what? I have a feeling I could just peace out. You guys can do this without me. Yeah, but me. why did he think? leave Mikey out? That's, huh? that's interesting. He left Mikey out. Hello, Who, KFG, who's, Dre, and Who's Andrew. Mikey? I mean, <laughs> I didn't even edit this. Oh, okay. On the documentary, <laughs> Bruce Lee, the legend, there is a segment on Bruce learning a style of Kung Fu, Siu Hung Sung. To paraphrase, Siu stated that Bruce mastered his forms in just three days, where it takes most people weeks to just learn the basic forms. What style was that Kung Fu called? Mm. How well do you think it works in self-defense? And do you think Bruce kept up with it or discarded it mm. later mm. on? Mm -hmm. Thank you. This is a great question because I feel that Siu Hon Sang's influence on Bruce Lee mm. is extremely underrated, especially among the Fuk Young cultists <laughs> who, think that oh, no. Fuk, who think that Fuk Young is the guy who taught Bruce Lee all of this stuff, right? Um, and... So, love according to the late Hawkins Chung, shortly before Bruce Lee departed for the U.S., so when he was 18, he mentioned to Hawkins Chung, he goes, oh, when I go to the States, I want to teach Kung Fu. Mm. And Hawkins kind of laughed at him because he's like, you don't even know that much Wing Chun, right? <laughs> because in Hong Kong, you know, I think the people, hang, right? I, I, I assume Hawkins was his Si Hing. Yeah. I, I don't know if, I don't know if Bruce was a Si Hing or Hawkins was a Si Hing. Mm -hmm. Let's just say Hawkins was a Si Hing. Yeah. And uh, they both went to um, uh, St. Francis Xavier together. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's some class group photos where you see Bruce Lee and Hawkins Chung in, in, the, same, in, in the same photo. And Hawkins Chung was a training partner to Bruce Lee and friend. And, and I believe they also exchanged a letter or two. Um, and Hawkins Chung later went to Los Angeles. And he even got a black belt in karate and also taught guy. Tai Chi. Hawkins Chung was great. I mean, Hawkins Chung was very dynamic. And from that old school period, Love and his mustache uh, too. yeah, it just—I mean, I, I really wish I had. Um, I, I only met Hawkins once in Germany when uh, he no. came for. Yeah, he came for uh, the EWTO's twenty-fifth anniversary um, celebration, and Hawkins was there. And I say he demonstrated a Tai Chi form, and then he he told some stories about. Uh, uh, Grandmaster Yip Man and his accent was a little bit difficult for Germans to understand because mm. he had a very thick Chinese accent and I remember being there and I and my my seeing uh, Oliver Koenig who's a, a now um, a grand, kind of grandmaster level in the EWTO he had to do the translation for Hawkins yeah. and my my seeing Oliver Koenig he, he he speaks English very well but uh, Hawkins Chang's English is it's a, you, you if, if you are uh, you have to imagine if you're a German or an Austrian that speaks English as a second language. And now you have to decipher the English of someone with a very heavy Chinese accent. This is very difficult, yeah. right? It's very difficult for most people um, because you are now trying to decipher an accent in your non-native language, right? Oh, this is uh, so, shit show. Um, so I remember like my seeing Oliver was struggling a little bit, like Hawkins would say something and then... And then he would, uh, seeing Oliver would translate it into German. And then I, of course, you know, I grew up, Chinglish is one of the languages that I speak. All right. And, uh, and I'm fluent in it. Um, <laughs> and my, my greatest joy is when Chinese people cannot understand other Chinese people in English. 
And then they turn to me and they go, well, what did he just say? <laughs> and I'm the one translating yeah. the Chinglish to other yeah. Chinese people, right? Oh, uh, great. So, um, but anyway, so he told some stories and that was all super interesting. And then, but, and I, I, I got a photo with him, but for the life of me, I cannot find it. I, I have to, I ha it's an actual physical photo. I got to look for it somewhere. Um, but I really wish I had um, gotten the chance to spend more time with him. Sivu Carson. Shoot the shit with yeah, him. Sivu Carson Lau. Yeah. Was one of my main mentors. He spent some time uh, with the... Uh, Hawkins Chang and the two of them were quite close and I know it was rough for him when uh, when when Hawkins passed away and so um yeah so anyway Hawkins said in an interview that shortly before Bruce departed for the US he said he was going to teach Wing Chun and Hawkins kind of made fun of him because I mean I know this is shocking for legions of Bruce Lee fans but Bruce Lee was not considered a qualified Wing Chun instructor at the time he left Hong Kong mm. so the I you know Damn. it would be like someone who's just kind of like Somewhere in the chum queue level going like, yeah, I'm going to move to uh, to Mexico and start teaching Wing Chun or something like that, right? And you'd be like, um, all right, you might want to learn more, right? And then so I think Hawkins had made some kind of joke or reference about Bruce not knowing that much. And Bruce got the idea that, um, well, maybe I should go learn some other fancy kung fu. Mm -hmm. Because then he had the idea that, you know, Wing Chun is not really good for um, – demonstrations because our forms are you know i mean the siunam tao as a demonstration is basically a, a sleeping pill in performance art all right you want to put an audience to sleep do the siunam tao like how many times they watch a wing chun demonstration they go okay uh sibu students they come out now they're yeah. going to demonstrate the siunam tao form and it's just like <laughs> i get it siunam tao is super important but why would you demonstrate that in no. a public demonstration at least oh, do damn. the chumki or something like that right yeah at least just move around kicks or yeah, something yeah. right uh, but anyway, um, so Bruce went to uh, Siu Hong Sang. was, from what I understand, a family friend, of, at least of Bruce Lee's father, because uh, remember Bruce Lee's father was an actor, and Siu Hong Sang was also an actor, uh, Uncle Siu, as he was affectionately uh, called. And Uncle Siu, from what I understood or from what I recall, was a graduate of the Jingwu Academy in Hong Kong, or Jingmo in Cantonese. And the Jingwu Academy is the same academy that the movie Fist of Fury is about. Yeah. All right. Like with the Falk Yun Gap, the, the, the head who was killed by the Japanese or whatever. He was the person who established it, according to folklore, right? There are many people that believe Falk Yun Gap or Ho Yuan John Mandarin was just a fairy tale character. He's not even real. Siva Leung Ting just believes that he was just a coolie in the kitchen that they took a photo of <laughs> and, and put his photo up there as a figurehead. Because the actual, the actual guys who opened right. the Jingwu Academy were two Shanghainese businessmen. And uh, it was, for all intents and purposes, the first commercial kung fu school. And it was opened in Shanghai in 1914 or 1920. It was around that time, very, very early on. And then they, they opened it as a taiyutwui, as a... Um, as a physical culture place because uh, like uh, a YMCA. Yeah, like a YMCA. So you, so you could go there. I believe they even had boarding for for people to live there. You could learn martial arts, you could learn things like archery, you could even learn things like western bodybuilding, which was like a big it was which was like very foreign for Chinese at that time, but like western style bodybuilding was like a big thing, right? Wow. So it was like a place where you can go and do all those things. And then what they did on the martial arts end is in the original Shanghai um, Jingwu Academy, they invited masters of different styles. So you had like Lo Kong Yu from Northern Mantis, or they had like an Eagle Claw master, Lao Fatmang, all these different famous masters of different styles. And then they developed a curriculum where I, I believe it's like 10 forms that you have to learn first. 
And these are called like the Jingwu 10 or the Jingwu Basic 10. And these are things like Tam Toy, like Springing Leg and, mm-hmm. and uh, Gong Lit Kun and all of these forms. And they are, uh, for lack of a better phrase, generic Kung Fu forms. So they have like, you know, you have to learn these basic forms and, and they, these forms have different stances and kicks and they have different levels of uh, uh, difficulty. And there's one, one even called Jeet Kun, all right? Although the Jeet is uh, for section, not for interception, but it sounds ah. almost identical to Jeet Kun though. And so you learn these basic 10 forms. I believe there's even some weapons forms in there. And once you learn those 10, I believe it's 10, I could be wrong. Then you specialize in a style after that. So like after you learn these 10 fundamental Kung Fu forms, then you might go and learn Northern Praying Mantis. Or after you learn these 10 Kung Fu forms, you might go and learn Eagle Claw or something like that. So that meant that um, a lot of Northern Mantis guys and Eagle Claw guys, they actually have the same fundamental 10 forms because it comes from the Jingwu Academy. And those forms have nothing to do with either Mantis or Eagle Claw. Hmm. So when you look at like uh, Lily Lau's Eagle Claw curriculum, like the first 10 forms are like these generic Kung Fu forms that you also have in some uh, Northern Mantis styles. And that's because those styles were kind of pushed through the filter of the Jingwu Academy at some point. And the Jingwu Academy started opening branches throughout Asia. So the first one was in Shanghai. Uh, they had then they opened one in Hong Kong. And then I believe there was one in Singapore and a few other locations. Nice. And the template was the same, right? You would learn these 10 forms and then you would specialize and they would invite masters from different styles. And that is part of the reason, not the entire reason, but that's part of the reason why there's so many northern Kung Fu schools in Hong Kong. Because Hong Kong is in southern China, so you would expect there only be southern styles in Hong Kong. Mm. But you have Northern Mantis and Eagle Claw and these northern styles in Hong Kong, partially because there was a Jingwu Academy there where you had these northern masters come in. And Xu Hongsang was a product of the Jingwu Academy, as was his classmate, Sekin. Han from Enter the oh, Dragon. Yeah. So, so Xu Hongsang and Sekin are like from the same generation. So when you imagine Xu Hongsang, who also passed away quite a long time ago about the same age as Han all right like and same generation he's <laughs> like that guy so he was an avuncular character in Bruce Lee's life and Bruce be, before departing for the US wanted to learn some kung fu so it's, it might not sound like I'm putting Bruce Lee in a good light but this is <laughs> this is very chinese way of thinking he wanted to learn some fancy shit to impress the Westerners. Oh, right. Okay? Because he wasn't going to impress anyone with the Siwanam Tao form, right? <laughs> so he went to Uncle Siu, and mm-hmm. I believe the exchange was like Uncle Siu was going to teach him some of those basic Jing Wu forms, and Bruce was going to teach him some cha-cha steps in exchange. Uh, okay? Bruce was nasty. Yeah. And don't forget cha-cha. that Siu, Siu Hansan was was also an actor, right? So that, that's how they knew each other because I believe he had acted in films with his father. And he also acted in films with uh, Sekin. In fact, uh, in 1972, before Bruce did Enter the Dragon, there's a photo of Bruce Lee at a restaurant in Hong Kong. He's already a movie star at this point, but he had not done Enter the Dragon yet. And Bruce is like in his super swanky 70s style and he's sitting at a restaurant and at the chair, at the table with him is Sekin, Han from Enter the Dragon yeah. and Uncle Siu, Siu Hansan. So, so like he still kept in touch with those guys, right? So Siu Hansan taught him uh, supposedly like three of these forms, right? I believe one of the forms were actually called Jit Kun. 
All right, but again, it's not the same as jit kun though. It's a different character, similar or identical pronunciation. Jit means I section. I think he also learned gonglit kun and, and so on. But he also picked up some crane movements and mantis movements and things like that. So when you see Bruce Lee do his famous screen test, where he goes like, this is a crane form, and then he busts that thing out, yeah. or he does that famous thing where he jumps and then he does the second jump kick, or he'll, he'll do these different kind of like kung fu forms, that's all the stuff he learned from Uncle Siu. The the Fuk Yang people try to pretend like he learned all that stuff from Fuk Yang later, all right? Whereas maybe Fuk Yang taught him some operatic stuff or taught him this and that, but exactly what Fuk Yang taught him is up. There's a lot of debate about it, and a lot of the guy, the Fuk Yang cultists out there mm-hmm. are going to have you believe that Fuk Yang taught him this real red boat Wing Chun, which somehow Bruce Lee never ended up integrating into his Jeet Kune Do. So, how good was it? Or he taught him Mantis and all this other kind of stuff, and Bruce ended up not really using it. So, it's like they want to say he taught him all this great stuff, and it's like, well, how come that stuff never made it into the core curriculum of Jeet Kune Do, right? And, and then they're like, yeah, you know, when he's doing this and this form and that form, that's from Fuk Yang. No, it's not. It's from and they're kind of shitting on someone who is extremely important and we also have evidence of him having learned from him i mean yeah he we know he knows Young and jesse glover talked about it but like uh, hawkins chung makes reference to bruce going to Sang, and hawkins chung came with bruce lee to some of those sessions with Hong san but then dropped out because he really didn't have any interest in learning that stuff mm-hmm. Man. And that's where Bruce picked up those things. So uh, I, I don't remember. I probably have it written somewhere, the exact forms that Bruce Lee learned. But when you see Bruce Lee busting Kung Fu shapes in those demonstrations where he's doing the jump kicks and showing right. the other styles, that's stuff he learned from Siong San. And <laughs> I believe, and this is totally my speculation, when Bruce went to Oakland later and, you know, he eventually had his tussle with um, uh, Wong, Wong Jack Man. Yeah. Bruce gave a demonstration. With a jerry curl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bruce gave a demonstration in San Francisco, and it angered a lot of the Chinese martial arts community because he basically said, like, all this fancy kung fu shit you're doing is bullshit, and you know, you you, you need like it, it, it need, you need to do something that's more direct and effective, right? Uh-huh. And according to some of the witness accounts of that, Bruce busts out a form, and the audience sees it and they're like, "Wow, this form looks really good." And then he goes on the mic and he's like, that's a bunch of bullshit that I just did there. <laughs> and, 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 and I I believe the reason why that might have angered people, particularly in that audience, is because Wong Jack Man was from the Jingwu school. Yeah. And Bruce Lee learned Jingwu forms. Yeah. So if Bruce Lee demonstrated a form in front of an audience, it would have been a Jingwu form. So that would mean that he, in particular, demonstrated a form that those guys were doing and Bruce probably did a pretty good job of it and then said it was bullshit. Like, can you imagine if someone goes up to the wooden dummy and does a pitch perfect first four sets, no mistakes, clean angle, footwork, everything like this and go, that's a bunch of horse shit. <laughs> right? You'd be like, like, what? He's like, because it's basically saying like, I don't believe in that. That's a bunch of crap, but I can still do it better than you. It is like the biggest oh. F you. All right. And so I always speculated that that might have been one of the reasons why those guys got particularly salty mm-hmm. because it's possible. And of course, this is just my speculation. I don't know what Bruce Lee actually demonstrated or what snippet of a form he did. Um, or maybe he demonstrated it poorly in their taste and also got pissed off or whatever. Yeah. But it was most likely a Jingwu form. And Wong Jack Man was a Jingwu guy. All right. 
And Jing Wu guys do mostly forms, mm-hmm. which is why I think that Wong Jack Man was a fighter, having come from a mostly forms-based martial arts style. I have a very difficult time uh, believing that. So anyway, that's that. That's wow. Uncle Siu. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next up, we got a question from Power Play for Real. Okay. Power Play for Fake yeah. was already taken. It already taken. Yeah, I'm sure he wanted that one. And uh, he had to go with For Real. Right. Okay. So, hey. Hey. KFG. That's what's up. It is well believed Uh-oh. that Bruce Lee seriously liked men's fashion uh-huh. and enjoyed dapper. Oh, and enjoyed getting dapper. Oops. Yes. In one of your up-and-coming podcast, can you tell us what, if any, you may know or heard about his GQ style? Peace, brother KFG. <laughs> well, I don't know. Bruce Lee's fashion sense is a, is a, is a uh, um, topic of debate because there's some people like, well, sometimes, I mean, he was very, he was dressed very dapperly. I don't know. Can you say dapperly? I don't know. I'm going to say dapperly, all right? <laughs> he was dressed very dapperly from time to time, but then like... There's also him wearing like that plaid green jacket, like with like. There was some questionable Shit, choice. I would but love then, to have that jacket. Yeah, right but now. then you also go. Okay, it was also the early seventies, mm-hmm. you know. But then like Bruce was also wearing like in the sixties like this. He's wearing like a daishiki, like a long ass daishiki. And then you I go, remember that shit. Okay, yes. but it was the sixties. So I mean, the problem yeah. is when when people like throw shade on some of Bruce Lee's fashion sense, it's like, dude, it was the sixties yeah. and seventies. Everyone was dressing doing. like that, yeah. right? So I think that he was very hip to how he should dress. Also, a uh, Doug Palmer who wrote the book about his time with Bruce Lee. He traveled with Bruce Lee to Hong Kong in the early sixties. So this is still Bruce Lee. Years before he would become a movie star, it was even a few years before he did Green Hornet. Mm-hmm. And Doug Palmer, one of his Seattle students, had the chance to travel with Bruce Lee to Hong Kong. And he even mentions in that book how Bruce was very fashion conscious. And this is before Bruce was like even Green Hornet Bruce. Mm. And like when it came to meeting girls in Hong Kong or when it came to meeting his family, he was like, he was like telling Doug, like, like you should have a suit, you should dress like this. And, and he was, you know, very big on what he would wear and what Doug would wear and all that kind of stuff. And I remember I, I mentioned that to um, uh, uh, to my wife and she was like, because when I was reading it, I'm like, look at these letters that Bruce was sending in the 60s like to oh, Doug. Right. And he is, um, you know, he's talking about what jacket to wear and all this kind of fashion stuff or whatever. And she's like, oh, God, he's so vain. Right. <laughs> and um that's probably true. I mean, look, I mean, like, to, to th- because we're Bruce Lee fans or whatever, we can also admit, you know, that, you know, he had some characteristics that, you know, that are not always good because we all have that kind of stuff. I mean, who isn't mm-hmm. a little bit narcissistic? Who isn't a little bit vain about how they look? Who isn't a little bit not me image conscious? You're totally, dude, you know, I know how much time you spend on your facial hair. <laughs> all right. It's like an hour a day. First all right. Hand. Yes. So come on, man. All right. <laughs> hour day. Everyone has a little bit of it, right? An but it's just so day. like when, if someone happens to be a celebrity or someone happens to be beloved, mm-hmm. it's like either people want to say all those things like, oh, this person was just a narcissist or whatever because mm-hmm. they just want to break someone down or they want to pretend like this person had no personality or character flaws or whatever. And, you know, I don't know. How much of a flaw is it to want to dress well? Okay. Mm. I mean, uh, should it affect how you judge people or should it affect how you your relationships with people? I don't think so. But I mean, if you want to wear your hair a certain way, you want to wear certain clothes or whatever, I mean, like, 
there are way worse personality traits you can have than that. All right. Yeah. So um, I think Bruce was, you know, very, very aware of that. Um, even if people think that some of the stuff he wore was kind of ridiculous. It was the 70s. If we if we were his age in in that time period, I guarantee you there would be some embarrassing ass photos of us. <laughs> oh. Exactly. Right. All right. Dude, I was a skateboarder in the 90s. Yeah. OK. I used Which to wear like double away. XL pants and baggy yeah. pants because that's what skateboarders did. And we used to cut them at the bottom. Then they were like frayed at the yeah. bottom with these huge pants and these big dopey shirts and big stupid hats uh-huh. and stuff like that. I mean, I look like, I mean, back then I thought it was the coolest freaking dude in the world. I, I look like a fucking clown when I look at those photos, right? So, I mean, like, what Man. was my fashion? Well, I was trying to fit into a certain group or whatever. And for that group, that was fine and right and the way you should dress. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 30 years later... All right, you go, Jesus Christ, okay? But you have to look at it for the time, all right? Okay. All right, next question. Hey, by the way, do we have any non-Bruce Lee questions this episode? <laughs> I think I think we do. Okay. Next one is is uh, along that route. All right. Switching gears. On okay. You. All right. What next about Brandon up. Lee? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's coming up. Right. Next up, we got Carlos Estrella. All right, the star. Okay. If... They can have IP man spelled with the I. Mm-hmm. Yes. P. Yes. Like P. I get it. IP man visiting San Francisco. Why can't we have a Tong Song movie where he's living in NYC Chinatown? I would love to have a Tong Song movie. All right. If I was a script, if I had any talent for writing stories, mm. which I don't. <laughs> all right. He's good uh, at I can telling them. Um, well, I can tell stories. Yeah. Yes. But it's easy because. These stories happen to me, yeah. and I'm just saying what happens. Uh-huh. Uh, and, uh, you know, I can write books about kung fu because that's what I do. But, like, if I had to, like, put pen to paper and, like, construct a, you know, a three-act story with, like, characters and character development and conflict and resolution and stuff like that, I don't know if anyone uh. would actually want to watch that. But if, if I had screenwriting ability... Uh, I would write a story about Tang Sang and I would try to get it produced in Hong Kong. I even know the actor I would want to play Tang Sang. Wow. Yeah. That's what's up. So I don't know. If anyone can if anyone can write uh, a screenplay and has done it before, not just like in your head. All right? I got I got ideas. I have a friend who can write screenplays. I have yeah. I have a few but in my she, head. She's not she's not kung fu related, but she is. That's fine. No, no, because stories and writing a good story is all about, uh, you know, you have to follow like a template, you know yeah. what I mean? And how you build it up and your main characters and the audience has to know about them within eight minutes of the story. Yeah, that my scripts thing, don't, don't follow that template at all. Yeah, I know. So I know. not qualify. What? Yeah. You have scripts. In my head. Yes. In your head. In and head. so, yeah, if there's someone out there who, who has experience with this and is interested. Um, yeah. I would, I would love. Chime. I in. think there's a very good story with Tang Tang there. Yeah. I mean, I actually have a story in my head, Ooh. but I just don't know how to write it. It's not my wheelhouse. I don't oh. know, you know. And and which is you funny because put it in a screen because play. in New York, everyone yeah. is a screenwriter. Everyone's a director. Everyone's an actor <laughs> or whatever, right? <laughs> right. And I'm the only one that's like, no, I'm not any of those things. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. And I recognize I'm not any of those things. I'm not gonna pretend <laughs> I'm any of those things. So oh, anyway. Oh shit. Yeah. All right. Let's go forward. To Fab Myers. Fab Myers. He's all the right. brother of Oscar. Oscar Myers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that's so 
Everyone's brother is chiming in today. Yeah. I love it. British guy likes it. <laughs> if you get a British guy laughing, yeah. Michael Myers. you got the room. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Myers too, right, cousin? Yeah. Hi, KFG and the team. That's what's up. He's including Mike in that one. Kinda. Yeah. Well, he I'll he made it. it. Yeah. He made it. Yeah. I'll take it. He really just met Andrew and you. <laughs> completely and utterly ignored by Mo Howard. Right. <laughs> I love who, it. Who I, by the way, who I've actually chatted with in the live chat. Yes. So it's not like he, I think he's just getting dissed down. by Mo Howard, <laughs> man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He gave you he gave you this one <laughs> right on the head right Absolutely. okay <laughs> boom right on the head this right here <laughs> I I we, job, li- we literally just alienated eighty percent of our audience with that right there right? anyone even knows what the Three Stooges are all right they will learn somehow hi KFG and the team I really enjoy your show me too my wife who has zero interest in kung fu. Loves watching it too, and always enjoys a good Dreisen question. Oh, is there such thing? <laughs> what's a what's a good Dreisen question? <laughs> I couldn't tell. I, I think he asked a good one last episode that hasn't aired yet. Maybe, maybe. We'll see what his wife yeah. thinks. Yeah. Anyway, do you have any little herd stories regarding Chan Wai Man you could share? Oh. As a former police officer, triad member, actor, ring fighter, etc. He's a colorful and interesting character. Yes. Back in the day, there were, oh, there was a rumor that he knew exactly what happened to Bruce regarding his death. Good job, too, on showing how full of shit that clown beardy is. Mm. The bloke is a first class squat. Hey, he said bloke and twat. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Keep up the great work. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic All right. Fantastic yes. work. Yeah. If he uses bloke and twat in the same in the sentence, same then he's, he's got to be from uh, California. He's yeah. from. So, um, so anyway. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Chan Waiman. Well, um, Chan Waiman, you're also a huge Chan Waiman fan. Big time. Right? Chan Waiman is a certified badass. Can't wait and, to meet him. And legend. Uh, yeah. He, um, I know people who are friends with him. Mm-hmm. He's not really big on giving interviews. And um, so he was a police officer for a very short time. But he had, as a member of the triads, uh, he, didn't last, <laughs> he didn't last very long in the police uh, department. Man. Now, he, uh, he was also a... Uh, but he wasn't a corrupt cop, from what I heard. No, so I don't know anything about that. I just know that he wasn't a cop for very long. Yeah. Like, he got out of, he like... He just had double lives. Like, he, no, like, he got out of police academy, and he was a cop for, like, six months, and then okay. they're like, uh, yeah, hey. you gotta go. Yeah, no, like, you're this just... isn't gonna work. So, um, I don't think he was a corrupt cop, mm-hmm. even though he was a triad member. And the right. reason why I say this is because he would have become a cop in the early 70s, and that was around the time that they formed the ICAC. Yeah. And had he done anything, I think he would have been caught by the ICAC. And, and from what I understand, he wasn't. Mm-hmm. So whatever, right? He, um, ICAC. He he later uh, became like a, a you know a full contact fighter, and obviously he had that famous kickboxing match with that Japanese fighter in the eighties when he was already like in his forties. Right. Right. And he knocked that dude out. Right. All full of tattoos and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Such a badass. I got to compare tat stories. With yeah. He, um, your tattoos are similar to his in yeah, a certain yeah, way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some yeah. Chan Chi Chan, uh, yeah. Chi Chen Wei man vibes. Yeah. Right? Unplanned. I didn't yeah. Even know, I didn't um, yeah. You didn't even shit. know you've no. had those from before. Right. <laughs> 
You're, you guys are soul brothers, right? <laughs> so um, he um, uh, did full contact fighting in the early 70s from what I understood. And I think he, he obviously he had learned some boxing and kickboxing. I think he had learned some karate. But before that, he was a student of Tam Hon, mm-hmm. who uh, was also a friend of Leung Tang's, who taught a very, very rare style of uh, a hard style of Chinese Kung Fu, which is also related to Japanese karate. And I know this because I have a very old um, yearbook from the Hong Kong Chinese Martial Arts Association. And it has Chan Wei, a very young Chan Wei Man next to his Sifu Tam Hon. Mm. And I didn't know mm. that he had learned from Tam Hon. Tam Hon was also the, 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 the long pole king of seven provinces or something like that. And he was a good friend of uh, Leung Tang's, right? So... Um, Chan Wei Man has ve- so I know some stuff about Chan Wei Man, uh, but I'm not I I'm not at liberty to say those things on the podcast, uh, and they're not bad things. They're, it's not like oh, like I'm holding out or whatever. It's just that um, in in Chinese martial arts, you know, I I I have a, a very uh, respected circle of friends in Hong Kong uh, who are much more senior than me and who have told me stuff, and without their permission, I wouldn't just retell certain stories there's certain stories that are innocuous and there's certain stories that involve different people mm-hmm. and so you have to be you just have to be mindful and respectful not to repeat that stuff and that is in no way to imply that uh, I know some Bruce Lee shit that Chan Wei Man said or something like that it's just little things here and there you just gotta be mindful people are still alive you don't say those things right so um, uh, one funny Chan Wei Man story I know is uh, that um, he told uh, Bay Logan. Uh, Bay Logan had the chance to interview Chan Wei Man a long time ago. Oh, and, sh- and he told and Chan Wei Man and Bruce Lee got along really well. And uh, Bruce Lee had a lot of respect for Chan Wei Man, which is why it's weird because some people are like, "Oh, Chan Wei Man was responsible for Bruce Lee's death or whatever," and. That really doesn't make any sense. Uh, the two of them were very close, and Chan Wei Man has been nothing but respectful of Bruce Lee. And then, of course, people will be like, see, that's exactly him covering up for the fact. It's like, shut up. Just shut up, all right? Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. Because when it comes to what people, you know, with the allure of triads and all these conspiracies and stuff, is when it comes to killing someone, there has to be a motive, mm-hmm. all right? Who benefited from Bruce Lee's death? That's the first thing. Mm. If Bruce Lee were killed, who would be the beneficiary? That's the first thing you have to ask. And that would be the only place you could look at and be like, that person would have to. And that's not to say that he was killed, but saying if he were mm-hmm. killed by someone else, there has to be a motive. That's why the Raymond Chow thing makes no sense. Because despite the fact that he was having issues with Raymond and stuff like that, Bruce was his golden egg. Yeah, that's like a counter benefit. Yeah, I mean, Bruce was the guy that was like making the most reverse. amount of was making the most amount of money for him. Right. He's going to get rid of his big star after his his Golden Harvest was floundering until he found Bruce Lee because he was in legal battles with Run Run Shaw mm-hmm. because of Jimmy Wang Yu who just passed away a few days ago. Um, he was in this legal struggle, right? And and because he was trying to acquire Jimmy Wang Yu and and uh, Run Run Shaw was trying to make sure that uh, that um, Raymond Chow would would not have a career and all this kind of stuff. And so. He finds Bruce Lee and this kind of makes his whole studio, right? And then he's going to kill him after two years. And then what? He's going to try to put Jimmy Wang Yu as the main star against (laughs) Shaw Brothers? I mean, come on, man. That doesn't make any sense. There's no motive there. Chan Wai Man, all right, who is starting to get into acting at that time. He's a low-level actor. Mm -hmm. What, what, What is his motive to kill Bruce Lee? I mean, you have to have a motive, 
Like, like, like anytime mm. people invoke the triads, you go, okay, who? War saying war, 14K, all right? Mm-hmm. Which, which triads, all right? Like, 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 because they just say triads and they can't even name any triad groups, okay? Yeah. And so, which ones and why? And what was the motivation and who? And then you go, uh, 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 oh, but you could just say the triads killed them, the all right, do you know how there all are many, many groups, all of them. What, all of what's them the motivation? It makes no sense. People need to shut the they hell up on them. that stuff, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, Bay Logan interviewed Chan Wai Man many, many years ago, and Chan Wai Man doesn't give a lot of interviews. And uh, he said that Chan Wai Man said he witnessed um, Bruce Lee and Bolo Young having an arm wrestling contest on the set of Enter the Dragon, and that Bruce Lee beat Bolo Young in an arm wrestling contest. <laughs> So, um, which is amazing, right? I mean, of course, to, to be fair, uh, Bolo, who was a professional bodybuilder, okay, but he was, if you look at Bolo's body in Enter the Dragon, he was definitely what you would say out of season, all right? Because when you look at Bolo Young gotcha. when he's in season and he's taking all the horsey sauce, yes, and he's cut, I mean, Bolo Young was amazing. Like mm-hmm. when he, there are photos of him in the early 70s competing and his body was phenomenal. But when you look at him in Enter the Dragon, he's very fluffy. Mm-hmm. He's very soft. He's, yeah. not, he's not striated. He, he has a high percentage of body Water. fat. Oh, yeah. yeah, he looks kind of chubby in Enter the Dragon. Yeah. He looks great in Bloodsport. Yeah, yeah. Bloodsport. Absolutely. He's like, yeah, he's a little bit better in Bloodsport, which is crazy because that's 13 years later, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, Bruce was someone who trained a lot of tendon and ligament strength. So it is possible that Bruce had stronger tendon ligament strength for things like arm wrestling, right? So according to Chan Wei Man, and Chan Wei Man is not someone who I would consider would be uh, uh, someone who would exaggerate mm-hmm. stuff like that, right? So he a said, fibber. yeah, he said that um, Bruce beat Bolo in an arm wrestling contest. Um, so there's, you know, there are a number of interviews with Chan Wai Man. They're all in Cantonese, but they're very, very interesting. Um, I have an audio recording of Chan Wai Man, which was given to me by someone. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, it was an audio recording taken at a some dim sum joint in Hong Kong. Interview or just a no, recording? No, no, no. Just like uh, they're at a dim sum place, and, and you can hear all the people talking in the background. All right. And someone was like, uh, asked Chan Wai Man about uh, the Bruce's fight with Lao Tai Chun. And uh, he basically says uh, he doesn't know if they fought, but if they fought, uh, Bruce would have obliterated Lao Tai Chi. <laughs> and that, that's basically all I'm kind of at liberty to say okay. yeah, about uh, Chan Wai Man. Oh, I hope no. one day to meet him. I know that he has had some health issues lately, and I think that his, he's having some problems with his voice, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, we are, we are at that age right now where, um, where our heroes are dying and they're getting older. And so, uh, and we still can't go to Hong Kong yet. I so um, I, a, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Over there. Yeah, still a lot of people. I've met a lot of people. There's still a lot of people I want to meet. Damn. Yeah. We got time for one more? Next up, we got William Sullivan. All right. Great Gene LaBelle episode. It was all right. It was all nah, right. people liked it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like 10K in, the, in the views. Ranting, ranting. Could you discuss the veracity of the... Moi origin story of Wing Chun. How important was the Red Boat Opera in the development of the WCWTVT? Mm. 
That's a great question. I mean, uh, uh, this is probably the last question of this episode, and this is kind of a meaty question to get into, <laughs> right? Uh, this is probably worthy of an entire episode by itself. Ooh. And there are Ooh, also people... It might be the first question of the next episode. Yeah, there are people out there who are far more qualified to talk about this than I am um, because the history of Wing Chun is something, obviously, that I'm interested in. I've read all the different takes on the history of Wing Chun, but it is not my area of expertise because um, the history of Wing Chun, like the history of most Chinese martial arts, is a is a dumpster fire of hot nonsense all right uh it's just stories and hearsays and secondhand tellings of third-hand plagiarisms and um i mean like even for example the shaolin story with the you know the five elders escaping the burning shaolin temple okay i love that story most versions of that story are second third-hand tellings of a story that is a plagiarism of the uh, Hong League's origin story. And the Hong League's origin story of Hong League being the triads. And the triad, the, the original people that said they came from Shaolin were not the Kung Fu people. It was the original triads oh, that were fighting the Qing government. Yeah. And then later, Kung Fu people adopted the, 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 Hong, the Hong League's uh, origin stories and changed the names and uh, made it fit their stories. All right, so it, it was originally that like the five el the five elders uh, escaped the 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 Shaolin Temple burning, which was of course burnt by a traitor who was yeah. you know a Qing Dynasty informant or whatever, and then they all escape. And then these five elders originally founded the five lodges what? Uh, of what would later become. The triads. Now, before the triads became what they are known nowadays as essentially organized crime, these were anti-Qing um, rebels or anti-Qing units. And they supposedly had five flags or five units. Mm -hmm. And each of them handled a different aspect of fighting the Qing government. So, for example, one flag or section of it would be about training a militia like in martial arts to physically fight the Qing government, right? And another one might be intelligence gathering, right? And another one might be espionage or side or mm -hmm. something like that, right? And so th they, they created this origin story because you had to be kind of sworn in by blood to become a member of the Hung League, all right? And uh, their story was to instill patriotism among all their members, right? We are from Shaolin, and the Shaolin Temple was burned by this damn Qing government, and we need revenge on this. And it was all a false flag puff piece. So the original Shao burning of the Shaolin Temple story with the five elders that formed the five leagues of, uh, or the five sections of the Hong League, was a fake story written to inspire patriotism it was the, it was the like a false flag story meant to rile up the people and and then join and it had all like the rules about joining the home league and the, the 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 secret handshakes and all that kind of stuff to join right that story was made up mm. chinese kung fu people especially later through the pulp fiction novels that were about the different kung fu styles plagiarized that story and changed the five elders to Moi or Feng Doutak or Ti Sim or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then made those the five founders of the five families of martial arts styles. And then every iteration of that story 
is second, third, fourth hand, okay? So what you have to realize about the Shaolin Temple origin story is that it's already fifth to 30th hand by the time it comes to you, <laughs> oh. all right? And that story, even in its original form, is a plagiarism, a plagiarism of a fake story. Okay? Oh, wow. So that is what we are, that's what we're talking about here. And that's Man. all I got to say about that. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Kung Fu Genius. As always, if you have questions, go ahead and write them in the comments below for a future episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the Kung Fu Genius, hit the bell for notifications, like this video, share it. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. Word is I'm a Kung Fu Genius. Technique speaks for me, not lineage. Forget Jet Li, cause I'm the one. Many call me Sifu, but to you I'm Seagung. And I produce masses. You surpassed us. Your Kung Fu stiffer than corpse and caskets. City Wing Chung is the house I built. Violate the gate and your blood gets spilt. Alex Richter, always the... Boom. Audio recording? Audio is recording. All right. Wow, it's funny. I don't hear like all this stuff like when I did the audio. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like we had seashells on our ears. All right. Okay. All right. That's stuff he learned from... Fu yeah. Or sorry. Fu yeah. What's wrong with me? He learned from Xiong San. You better okay. edit that, Andrew. All right? <laughs> Freudian slip. One take. Bloody hell. One take, Larry. Good job, man. Yay. All right. Yay. Good job, guys. Nice. Yay, brother. Did it at the ting ting ting!